Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, July 25th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather at 6.30 a.m. each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. In a moment, we'll say hello to our special guest pastor, who's part of the podcast family already, and today we gather to discuss the Lectionary Gospel for the coming Sunday. That would be July 30th. We're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from this week's leader, and then in this podcast we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Nicole Abdenor in Tampa. And I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Nicole Abdenor is the Associate Pastor of Palmasia Presbyterian Church, the church and congregation that makes this podcast possible. And Nicole, we're always so happy to have you as a part of this family and looking forward to your comments. Before we kick things off, since you're the Associate Pastor at the sponsored church, I just wanted to see if you had any observations you want to make about the podcast in Palmasia this morning. Simply a word of gratitude uh, for you all who so faithfully carry out this work, uh, who do this uh, interpretation and reflection around the lectionary text. Uh, it's a joy to host you all and to be able to lay claim to you uh, in some way, um, but also to, to bear the fruits that, of y'all's labor uh, as we seek as pastors to prepare classes and, and sermons each week. Uh, you are a part of our process. And so we are grateful for the work that you do. Thank you, Nicole. And uh, I know we'll see you again from time to time as we move through the year and maybe even into year B and C as we go forward. Well, uh, our coordinator and questioner for the day is Bill Hull. I'm glad you're doing that, Bill. This is a complex and exciting passage. How are you doing, my friend? I'm well. And I add my word of greeting to uh Nicole, it's good to have you here. Um, I want to begin with a brief prayer I discovered recently, written by an un- so far an anonymous writer, and it has become important to me, and I think it helps us with our work today. So if we may now pray together. Now, O oh Lord, calm me into a quietness that heals and listens, and molds my longings and passions, my wounds and wonderings into a more Christ-like and human shape. Amen. Amen. Uh, Today we are finishing a series of parables in the 13th chapter of Matthew. We've been over the sower and the four kinds of soil that the seed falls on. Uh, last week the wheat and weeds growing together with the instructions that we are not the ones to separate the wheat and weeds and now today we come to a series of short parables involving five or some scholars believe there is a sixth one if you consider verse 52 to be a short parable Mark Davis interestingly calls it a half parable (laughs) whatever whether it's five or six a bundle of of parables, which is a challenge to deal with in one conversation. And 
in a moment when I announce the scripture, you will note that I have bended the lectionary reading slightly, adding verses 34 and 35 and 53 and 54. And my reasons for doing so will be shared during our dialogue uh, this morning. I, we will, in a moment, uh, as a group, uh, each of us has an assigned portion of this parable. We will hear together from the New Revised Standard Version, Matthew 13, verses 31 to 35, and 44 to 54a. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us listen. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that birds of the air can make nests, can come and make nests in its branches. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables without parables. He told them that this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus asked them, have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out, his, brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left that place. He came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue. Uh, a couple of comments, and then I'll get to my first question. Interesting to me, only two of today's parables are in the other two synoptic gospels. Mustard seed is in Mark 4 and Luke 13, and the yeast is in Luke 13. Unless I'm overlooking something, the others are unique to Matthew. Now, in somewhat short succession, Jesus has told seven or eight parables, each using a distinctively different imagery and each conveying a unique characteristic of the kingdom of God on earth. And earlier in the chapter, in verse 10, Jesus explained to the disciples why 
he was teaching in parables. Don read the part that I added into the lectionary for this week, where again, Jesus talks about why he's using parables. And I include it and make these comments because I think that's a signal to us that Jesus is saying there is something unique about this way of conveying the gospel. Matthew sees it as very important, and that leads to one of my questions about how we would tell this story today. And then at the end, Jesus finished. He left that place and came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogues, which I also added. It's amazing to me how often Jesus teaches, heals, feeds, and then moves on. He moves on. That, I think, is also an important lesson. That's why I included it. And one of the, this week particularly, I see the privilege of being the lead person because you get to get your colleagues to wrestle with the questions you are most asking. So the three questions this morning are the ones that are most challenging for me. So I look forward to what my colleagues have to offer. Uh, And Don, I'm going to come to you first with question one. Briefly, in a word or phrase, characterize for you the meaning and application of the first five parables, the mustard seed, yeast, hidden treasure, pearls, net. And then, and I realize this blends over, speak of how these symbols and messages impact your life of faith today. Don? I'll do it one phrase and pass it on. I, it impacts me as a gathering of tangible, knowable aspects of creation and emphasizing tangible, drawing in our own experiences and observations to understand the pursuits of our own lives, the dynamics of nature, and the belongings of people to appreciate the kingdom. And I would add to that a paraphrase of a Shakespearean line, I can see it and feel it. That's my answer. Thank you. Sarah. Wow, that's really interesting. I took the antithesis of that. The true value of of a thing may not be obvious. Um, A dandelion can be a weed or a vehicle for a thousand wishes. God works through the unexpected, the undervalued, the diminutive, and the unseen. Wonder, curiosity, discovery, surprise, or gateways to the way God reveals himself to me. And all of these items that are lifted up in these parables are like that. Um, I grew up with a necklace that had mustard seeds in it that had been given to me by my great-grandmother. Um which I always thought was kind of interesting. I was like, why mustard seeds? And then I was old enough to understand. Um, I think that we need to pay attention that God is at work even when I am unaware. That's mine. Thank you. Okay, Sarah, thank you. Nicole. I I think I I take away the smallness and the hiddenness uh, that are present in these parables. And uh, as a a person of faith who's seeking to live out faith in this world, uh, to recognize that 
um, I think as Sarah was saying, sort of this, what we may see as being small, inconsequential, um, easily overlooked, stepped over, stepped upon, uh, that the kingdom of God may be present within those things. Um, and those things can be the very things that bring about uh, life, uh, protection. And within the treasure and the hiddenness of the treasure and the pearl, um, that the kingdom of God is something that is worth seeking. Um, the kingdom of God is worth our time and our attention, um, everything that we have to bring to bear. Uh, the kingdom of God is, is worth our full and wholehearted investment in order to pour into Thank you, Nicole. Uh, here's what I came up with. with mustard seed, small is not only beautiful, it can also be powerful. The impact on me is encouragement. Little is much when God is in it. Yeast, influence can be beyond expectation. Impact, trust God for the increase. Paul planted, Paul's watered, God gave the increase. Hidden treasure, it is essential to seek, which is what we're about on this podcast. And the impact is motivation. Pearls, a disciplined sacrifice for a greater purpose. And the impact is an encouragement to be bold and brave. Not reckless, but bold and brave. Net. The wide and unconditional outreach of God. It's analogous to me to the wheat and tares parable and the four soils. The seed is, seed is scattered indiscriminately. Leave judgment to God is the impact. While I was serving a church in Bradenton, Florida, I was a member of a fitness center that posted on the walls in large print, no judgment. And on a several occasions, I observed a staff member go over to a person and remind them of that rule, that they were not there to judge other people. And I thought, if this secular exercise center is on to that, then uh, we will. And one other comment, the activities here, baking, searching, horticulture, fishing, that I think is a message and for me, the moods in this, these parables, there's caution, determination, and joy. Now, the second question, and Sarah, I'm going to come to you first. And I will tell you, this is the question I most wrestle with myself. And I'm not at all sure that what I'm going to offer <laughs> works. This is tricky business. How would we today... Sarah, what images, parable stories might you use today to describe and share your understanding of faith to someone who identifies as one without faith? Sarah? Well, a couple things popped into my mind. There's a line from Contact where um, one of the characters is a scientist and one of the characters is a theologian. Um, 
faith, and the, the person of faith asks the scientist, how did you know your father loved you? And it was a challenge to the scientist to respond with, I just did. And, and, and the person of faith went, how is that different than having faith? And so I thought about that, but I'm also a person who um, finds cooking and specifically bread baking to be something that I connect with when it talks about faith. Um, One of the interesting things about ancient bread baking is that yeast wasn't readily, like you couldn't go to the store and buy a packet of it. So people would leave product out that looked like unleavened bread dough, and they would leave it out in the air, and yeast is opportunistic, and it lives in the air and in the environment and on surfaces where we touch. And so the naturally occurring yeast from the air would be what would leaven or create the sourdough for the bread to be made. Um, And certain areas are known to have unique and wonderful yeast flavor the bread uniquely, Um, San Francisco being one of them, but uh, interesting to me that in making bread for other people to have as nourishment, it takes something invisible that we can't see without really a pair of glasses at least um, to see the yeast that functions in that bread making that provides sustenance for a yeast. Um, and that's a worldwide resource. So it struck me that yeast is like the, the um, Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit that moves through things and uh, provides sustenance. And, and, and I'm going to add the word levity to the story because I think the point of good humor is a wonderful thing in, in faith practice. I think laughter, bread... All of those things are ways that I could see someone sharing faith with someone who is just learning. Thank you. Well said. Nicole. I started with this question a bit too, Bill. And um, I, before I share the sort of my image that I came up with, I think that the reason why I struggled with it was because of the the caveat at the end of the question that it be to someone who identifies as one without faith and I'm and I'm so what what I'm intellectually wrestling with is does it matter does that caveat matter in the parable or the image that that one shares so putting that aside um the image that I came up with uh maybe because I'm in Florida and maybe because it's summertime uh but it is one of uh, shark teeth hunting, which is and something that I enjoyed doing as a, as a child and during the summer uh, here in Florida as a child. And when you go shark teeth hunting, you, are, you, you walk along a riverbed. Sometimes you're walking along the beach. depends on, on where you're located. But my image is walking along the riverbed and uh, coming to a spot where the river is slightly shallow and you have your sister and you bend down and you scoop up this, you know, bits of sand and everything into the sister 
and you gently you gently shake it in the water so that all the debris and everything uh, falls out, and you're only left in the sifter with the with the larger items. When you're shark teeth hunting, you know sometimes in that sifter, once all of the sand particles have fallen out, uh, sometimes you're left with leaves and rocks, and you have to sort. You, have, you know you have to be intentional, and you have to look. Uh, really intently, and sometimes it's only rocks and it's only leaves, and you dump it out. Other times, you find the thing that you have are looking for, and you find a shark's tooth. And there is such joy and such delight uh, when you find that uh, shark's tooth. And I think the kingdom of heaven is a little bit like that. Right? I mean, the, the, the treasure was there all along. You know, from the, from the start of the journey, the, the treasure was there. And sometimes you never find a shark's tooth. But, that, but the, the, the joy is still there. You know, you, I, I, n- I never walked away from shark's tooth hunting, even if I was unsuccessful in actually walking away with a tooth and saying, well, that was that wasn't worth it. That was miserable. That was, you know, there was, there was something to the process um, of, of sharks tooth hunting. And, and yet sometimes you walk away, um, sometimes with a little tiny tooth and other times, you know, with a great big old tooth. Um, I think the kingdom of heaven might be a little bit like that. Thank you, Nicole. That, that's very uh, helpful. And to your, thank you for acknowledging by uh, ramping up the, with the caveat. And I did it for my sake because I spend a lot of time around fellow believers and I wanted to stretch myself how might I do this with someone who doesn't share that. Uh, Don, your images and stories, or how would you convey this message? Well, help me remember, I don't know what my brothers and sisters are doing or thinking or feeling or facing at all, any day, I would say. And folks who are listening in, this is a podcast. It's mostly audio, but we use Zoom to see each other. And I actually don't know where we are today. So, Bill, my answer is I think this is a challenge for us to play I spy. I spy, in this case, a pearl or a tree or a mustard seed. Go with me in your imagination. And it, life's e- easier for us, I think, uh, because if I sit down to a, a table with someone I haven't seen for years or just I've got me, I'm going to see a lot of people today, I think Christ is saying, you play I spy, maybe in advance when you walk in a room. For Sarah Nicholson, I'd say, you know, when you're checking out or the first look and feel of scenery on the stage. What objects are there? What do you see? How are you going to interact with it? What do you see? And the reason I, I think that matters is the Creator's given us boundless opportunities to bounce things off of and to resonate. So I was really excited when we began the conversation because I said tangibility, accessibility, and Sarah's like the hidden the treasure. And it's like it's both as this dynamic going on, but I think it begins with I spy. So with the pearl, I'll use the pearl as an example and then translate it. You know, with a pearl, we don't know the resonance of a pearl in the world that we live in today. I know they're nice, but I can't go deep on a pearl. I think in the ancient world you could. 
And I think you could go deep on it in terms of meditating upon it. The most excellent pearl that it is not, check this out in terms of today's language. Uh, it, there's no relativism. There is a most excellent. Right? And I don't know about you, I'm living in a world where everything's like, well, they do it or we do it and it's all the same and it's all hopeless and you can't get to the truth. And it's like, no, there is a most excellent pearl. But Jesus says, play I spy, consider a pearl. Great example. And I think in the ancient world, it resonated. Where was it from? Where had it been? When you hold it up, what does it feel like? What do you see? You can meditate in ways that we don't have access to. So I'll play I spy. And I'm in a room right now. I can look around because there's a plant I bought years ago. There are pictures. There are all kinds of wonderful things that I think I'm supposed to refer to when I'm with my friends. So there's a picture on the wall. I spy a painting that my wife and I actually had someone paint for us. When I look at it, I don't see the painting. I, I'm in the studio looking at the other work. The other work? I'm seeing five or ten other pictures. I smell the paint. I feel the floorboards. I see the person that's creating it. I hear her voice. She's talking about her pathways. Want me to go on for five hours? I can't. I can't with a pearl. But I think, Bill, the challenge is we could come up with a million different things. They're right there. That's the tangibility. The creation's in our hands. Jesus uses creation all the time. We're commissioned to do the same thing, not to explain it ourselves, but say, you know, Eric, consider the painting. (laughs) Consider uh, the roll on our table (laughs) where where it goes into the leaven. So I'm, I'm excited about this because it's right there. If we have a little discipline, right there at our fingertips. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you, Don. Uh, Each of you illustrate the challenge and the opportunity of seeking to communicate. It uh, it strikes me that Jesus uses such a variety of parables. He speaks to a woman who bakes bread, uh, to someone, a merchant, uh, to a farmer, a person who makes a living fishing. And so... I, as I said, I've really struggled with this one, and this is what I've come up with out of my own life experience. I've traveled a fair amount, and as often as possible, when I get to the destination, I use mass transit. BART in San Francisco, Oakland, MARTA in Atlanta, the Metro in Washington, D.C., and overseas, uh, Eurorail and other systems. So. Riding mass transit, I do not get to choose my fellow passengers. They get on board and leave at will. It's always a mixed bag of humanity. (laughs) Some are like me. Others are different. Uh, Frankly, there have been times I've been anxious. Am I okay around this person? Uh, But we're together on a journey with different destinations, yet each of us is moving on. Remember, I, I noted earlier the image that Jesus moves on. Shake the dust off your feet. Go on. When I was first wrestling with a, a sense of call to ministry and resisting it, I reread the Gospels, and that's the first time years ago that I noticed Jesus moved on, moved on, moved on. 
Interestingly, that was an encouragement to me. I had a the head of the then candidates committee in the Orlando area. I shared with him, I'm not sure, and he said, Bill, one step at a time. First you become a candidate, and if at some point, Bill, you feel like that's not for you, please, without any guilt or remorse, uh, move on to something else. The other possible image are the astronauts when they went to the moon and looked back at the Earth from the moon, and they didn't see the boundaries that maps have. And I didn't look up, and I don't remember, but some of what was said almost sounded poetic, of seeing this glowing ball, one, one world with all the diversity. That's where my heart and mind is right now. I think the greatest challenge for this nation and the world is to remember and live out the truth that there is one God, there is one human race, there is one earth. God values humans and the earth. We need to value it even more. Third question, and Nicole, I will come to you first in a moment. When Jesus had finished his teachings, he said, have you understood all this? They answered yes. I got to tell you, I find that humorous. (laughs) My answer would not be yes. (laughs) But we're reading it the way the writer of Matthew put it. They answered yes. Then Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, I've noted some scholars see this as also being a parable, the master of the household. Nicole, how does Jesus' question and his following statement inform and shape your understanding of your role as a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I think that with Jesus' question, have you understood all this? That impacts me um, in the sense that I think Jesus uh, both understands that there is going to be some confusion, some ambiguity, some misunderstanding, and I find that comforting. (laughs) Um, I find it comforting that Jesus is checking in. Um, I also find the response humorous, um, but understandable, because I also would not want to be seen as – probably incompetent, um, if you will, standing before Jesus. So I would probably quickly rush an answer yes as well, even though the true answer would be no. But Jesus knows that. Um, But his his then response and this, this, my understanding of of the master and the treasures that come out is, you know, it goes back to other phrases that Matthew lifts up throughout his gospel in terms of who Jesus is um, in the world for the disciples, for us today, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. But there is, there is a bringing forward of, and a, and a treasuring and a valuing of both the old and, and the new. Um, As a, 
as a contemporary modern Christian seeking to live out a life of faith today, I need to I, I, I need to wrestle with the wisdom of the old. Um, I need to find the wisdom of the old, even if I even if what is being revealed to me today is different from what God revealed to the church of previous generations, I cannot simply throw it out. There has to be some wrestling with it. There has to be some honoring of it. There has to be some sifting through it to find the the nugget of treasure, even if I end up moving to a different place with it. So it's the holding together, I think, of those of, of old and new, um, of not tossing out the old simply because it is old, but also the work of continuing to be open to God's revelation in the here and the now, because it may God's revelation might lead us to new places. Good. Thank you, Sarah. I remember when I was really little. And I would have a friend come over, and we would go back to play in my room, and I was the only girl in the house, so I had a room, and it was a room, generally. just happened to have my bed in it because the boys room. I have two brothers. And when I went to my room, the thing I wanted to do was bring out my treasures, share them with my friend, and go, this is my favorite blah, 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 my favorite thing. And this is my newest thing. And this is, and it's like this show and tell that was an opportunity for that new friend to get to know me and me to share something about myself with that friend. And I, uh, this particular parabolic, uh, this phrase, this half parable, according to Mark Davis, um, this idea of bringing out what is old and what is new and how does that inform what we understand about the kingdom of heaven. And what do these parables tell us about God? And how do we represent or or connect with or pass on to someone else what faith has meant to us as an individual and to our families and to our faith communities? And, and I'll go into our wider communities, maybe the group of people um, the state in which we live, and things like that. Um, so I, I think about how would I share a little bit about how valuable this faith practice, this following, this um, this pursuit of of the kingdom of heaven. How would I share that with someone else? And maybe that is the way I do it: is I share what's treasured. I share what has been valuable to me. What, what I valued when I was little and what I value now, um, and how that does evolve in a really positive way. But it also invites someone else to go, oh, I have something like that. Let me show you mine. And it becomes this exchange of discovery, this exchange of affirmation, this exchange of wonder. And I think those, for me, have been really profound moments about what does the kingdom of heaven look like and, and how do we... How do we build connection with someone else? So that's my thought. Thank you. Uh, and like Nicole and 
Sarah, I focus on this, what is new and what is old. What do we retain and what do we discard? That takes discernment. Uh, For example, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We didn't throw out the Hebrew Scriptures. And, Nicole, you reminded us that Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. And, you know, what does it all come down to? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think of a contemporary example of the body of Christ throughout the earth is still struggling with what do we retain. There is no question that there are several places in the New Testament that say women have no right to teach men and preach. Uh, I grew up in the Southern Christian Church that came to a point of discernment that Paul was more attuned to the truth when he said in Christ there is neither male nor female and now we uh, fully honor the role of women other of our brothers and sisters in Christ do not see it that way it is a continuing struggle what do we retain and what do we change and how does the past convey wisdom and how does living in the past lock us into destructive patterns of belief and behavior? And all we know also, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, <laughs> you know, you've heard it being said, do not murder. I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you have committed uh, murder. And I will repeat a quote I shared last week that uh, Frederick Dale Bruner quotes from C.H. Dodd, his definition of a parable, a metaphor, a simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving, I like this, leaving the mind in sufficient doubt of its precise application to tease it into active thought. If we do nothing else on this podcast, but the Holy Spirit uses us to tease our viewers and listeners and us into active thought, uh, that will be rewarding. And I'll finish with a quote from Caroline Lewis's article in 2014, Inviting a Kingdom Imagination. She wrote, the promise of the parables about the kingdom of heaven is that even when the kingdom is not seen, it is near. Don? Well, I'll start with the promise. I think we've all touched on it, and I'm calling it the promise. Do you understand? Yes. I believe them. Uh, We can talk about how hard it is to get through it and work out and use our imaginations, but I think there's a promise in that. I think that... It, it, we we cock our heads like really, <laughs> and I think that's funny too. We should, but I believe them. I believe they understand it. So there's an accessibility about these, which goes to the tangible. I can touch it and I can feel it. There's a promise there. Use the objects. Use creation. Jesus dives in is using all the pieces of creation to help us understand. It's accessible. So I take that as a promise, and maybe some instruction. Don, don't throw up your hands every time. You know, if you delight in what you've discovered, say so. Show them. I, Nicole, a shark's too. You know, do it like a shark's do. 
You found it. Describe it. Show it. And I think about when we meet people, old friends and new friends, you know, if I say, how are you, that could be off-putting. I mean, you're, you know, I don't know if I want to reveal everything when somebody goes, are you okay? But if somebody goes, where'd you, where'd you get that hat? Where's that? What's that in your hand? Show me. Different. So there's also a promise of accessibility for each other on this as well. Uh, so uh, when it comes to the, the the person in the household sharing the objects, what's belonging, I think there's just the basic hospitality in that, the hospitality of precious things. And we've all been there. I, I like it. If I'm going to a new home, I don't know about you, I'm like, what is this? What will we, upon which we will die? What what will it be like? Will there be music? Will there be strangers there? I'm thinking about that. There's nothing like someone saying, come, let me show you this. It opens everything up. It's so simple. There's a promise in that. Let me show you these things that I think are excellent. And going to the imagination part of this, I think as a part of the hospitality, it's clear in the old and the new, explanations are in order. It's not like, oh, that's a pearl. That's not That's not it. It's... You can imagine the person saying, you go, see, this is like, oh, thanks for showing me your pearl. Let's go see something else. No, let me tell you the story. I remember where I was. I thought you would like to see what I've discovered. I want to take five minutes and explain where it came from, what it feels like, the memories that are there. It's like I was talking about the, the picture was painted from my wife and myself. I can tell you about the day that we went and met the artist and the next day and the next day and the next day. What am I really talking about? My relationship with the person I love, not even the painting. How did you get there? Well, all of you know that. We get there if we, if we do it. And I think there's, there's almost, I mean this in the best spirit of the word, there's a, we, we're responsible for a little apocalypse. Let me show you my heart what I've discovered. That's apocalyptic thinking and talking. I'm going to uncover something and show it to you. This is me. This is what I found. And I think with the promise where Jesus says, you know, do you understand? Yes. And I think Jesus goes, well, why don't you show people what you found? It's not that hard. And Sarah, every, every three years when we talk about this, I do bring up uh, Sebastian from Twelfth Night. Oh, I always have to. And it's a throwaway line. But if you know Shakespeare and there's twins, which also is a gospel theme in many ways. And someone's fallen in love with the twin pretending to be the other twin and then comes upon Sebastian thinking it is the beloved. And he is astonished. He's delighted that someone would love him. And she's wonderful and all these things. And she gives him a pearl when she departs. And he says, I'm paraphrasing, you know, this pearl, am I crazy? <laughs> this pearl, I do feel it and see it. And though tis wonder that enwraps me thus, tis not madness. That one thing, it's, I see it, I feel it, I can meditate. And, the, and this, my beloved is gone, but I have it in my hand. Wow, that's powerful. I think the kingdom and the discovery is just as powerful as those things. And on that note, I think we're out of time, but let me just go around and see if there's any left hangers or anything anybody wants to say before we say goodbye. Anybody? Thank you, thank you, colleagues. Thank you. And uh, I'll say thank you, colleagues, for those that are listening in every week. We thank you for your comments, your counsel. And I'll tell you, sometimes your criticism. I get it. (laughs) 
And I really appreciate that. I know I speak for all of us. And uh, Palmasia Presbyterian Church, where Nicole is the associate pastor, is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And they make this podcast possible. For more information, you can go to palmasia.org, P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for Nicole's sermon, for discussions of the Gospel Lectionary, other great sermons, meditations, prayers, music, opportunities to take communion. So check that out. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.